So I walked into the uh, physical therapist office a couple weeks ago, and I was standing there, and they said, yes, sir, can I help you? And I said, yes, you can. I want to play guitar in two weeks. They said, a man with goals, but you're not going to get there that quick, so hopefully we'll get, get, get there quick. Let me read to you today our scripture lesson from Psalm 8, the lectionary reading for today from the New Living Translation, a Psalm of David. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic, your majestic name fills the earth. Sorry, I was reading the King James. See how the King James gets embedded in your mind even when you have a modern translation. Your glory is higher than the heavens. You have taught children and infants to tell of your strength, silencing your enemies and all who oppose you. When I look at the night sky and see the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think about them, human beings that you should care for them? Yet you made them a little lower than God, some texts say a little lower than the angels, And crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them charge of everything you made, putting all things under their authority. The flocks and the herds and all the wild animals. The birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, and everything that swims, the ocean currents. O Lord, our Lord, how your majestic name fills the earth. The word of God for the people of God. see that let me show you this picture here this is an icon by Russian painter Andrei Rublev completed in the 1400s a a renaissance painting though it doesn't look much like a renaissance painting icons are very important in the Russian Orthodox tradition and to Russian Orthodox spirituality and this one in particular is their most important one in their collection it's large more than four feet high so it's not a tiny little wall hanging And if you look at it closely, and I know it's hard to see on the wall here, you will see the three dark faces and the dark hands, and the remainder of the painting, the icon, has been encrusted with all of these accoutrements, jewels, gold leaf, resin, all of these different things. The story behind this painting is that this is called, it goes by two names, Reblev called it The Visitation of Abraham, based on Genesis 18, where Abraham received three visitors, and they sat with him in the cool of the day under his tent. And it's also known as the Trinity, these three figures representing Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is what the icon looked like for hundreds of years, up to about a 100 years ago. And then the Orthodox Church began a restoration project. They wanted to clean those dark faces and see what was going on underneath. So they took all the gold off, they took all of the jewels off, and after six layers of cleansing, they found this. This beautiful masterpiece, priceless piece of Renaissance work. It is an amazing act of restoration. And we have a better picture. One theologically minded art critic gives this description. The three gather in a circle around what reminds us of a communion table. On the right, the Holy Spirit, dressed in blue and in green. It is the Spirit that moves in sky and water, heaven and earth. The sun is at the center 
with a thick, heavy garment that is reddish-brown of earth and the blue of heaven, the two natures present in him, and over his right shoulder there is a band of gold shot through the earthly garment. The Father on the left seems to wear all the colors in a kind of fabric that changes with the light that cannot be described or confined in words, and this is how it should be. No one has ever seen the Father, but the vision of Him fills the universe. And each one holds a staff. Why should beings with wings that can fly like the light have need of a staff for their journey? It is because we are on a journey. And these three enter with us as we travel. Isn't that beautiful? This, the restoration of the painting... Its prevailing interpretation reminds us that there is often much more going on beneath the surface of things than we can see. More is going on, as in addition. The highlights do not tell the whole story, and more as in percentage. Far more volume, more mass, more substance, more beauty is hidden from our sight. But it is still there. William James said, Consider the islands of the sea. They are small and separate on the surface, but immense and connected in the deep. Small and separate on the surface. I wonder if we could go back one slide. Look at those faces. Small and separate on the surface. And the next slide. Immense and connected in the deep. There is always more. It is Trinity Sunday on the ecumenical calendar today, a doctrine that is essential to what we believe but rarely spoken about directly. The word Trinity is a word not even mentioned in the Bible. It speaks to what is immense and connected in the deep. It is the more. And I won't explain the Trinity today. I can't. And if someone tells you that they can, they can't either. John Wesley, founder with his brother Charles Wesley of the Methodist Church, in sermon number 55 of his recorded sermon says this, All who endeavor to explain the Trinity at all have utterly lost their way. They have, above all other persons, hurt the cause which they intend to remote. I insist upon no explanation at all. It's beyond us. Wesley was a firm believer in the one God in three persons. Father, Son, and Spirit. But he admitted the obvious. God is a mystery. The heart and the mind, knowledge and faith, these can only go so far. And when we are dealing with God, God is what is immense and connected in the deep. There is so much more, so much, much more of God that we cannot see beneath the surface than what is seen around us. We can pull back a few layers. We can see the streaks of the original beauty, but in the end, we are left dumbstruck, exactly as it should be, exactly as it is. Psalm 8, the text today, a psalm of David, a psalm of wonder. It surges with astonishment. It is the inspiration for the Swedish hymn translated into English, how great thou art. David points us to creation, points us to the universe as proof of God's wonder. 
this world that is so vast, so marvelous, so awe-inspiring, so beautiful and diverse, if this is the creation, what kind of creator must be behind it all? Nothing comes into being without an initiation, without a start, a trigger. And this universe, the science tells us as much, had a beginning. But what could cause the universe? What could cause it with such beauty and precision, such order and such glory? The simplest explanation is a single, powerful, uncaused cause. That's what the philosophers call it, by the way. The Greeks used the term the unmoved mover. The Big Bang is the shorthand in the scientific explanation. And the religious word is God, because it's the only word that we have. Sir Isaac Newton, the father of the scientific revolution, believed this and concluded that the perfection of the universe required intention. I'm paraphrasing him here, but he said that as he learned more and more about the intricate details of this world, details that science revealed to him, the more that he felt that it worked like an expertly crafted watch. And he said, if there is a watch so perfect, so awe-inspiring in its construction, then there must be a watchmaker, quote, wherein that watchmaker must be God. King David, living 2,500 years ago, here are his words, excuse me, 2,500 years before Newton, with only the naked eye to look at the universe, without microscopes and without telescopes and without the scientific revolution, still says, when I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars you set in place, what are mere mortals? that you should think about them, human beings, that you should care for them. We might say, look at the emerald green waters crashing against ivory soap sand. Watch a newborn baby fresh from the womb scream and stretch for life. Sit with the terrifying power of a supercell thunderstorm. Look at the near infinity that is inside of you, the immense and connected in the deep, the physiological miracle that is a human body. Be blown away by the size and the knee-knocking wonder of the universe. A decade ago, Cindy and I took the boys on a trip to Flagstaff, Arizona, and I brought these along to show you that it was a decade ago. I could just point out, you know, Braden in the top left corner sacked out from the trip. Somebody's always flashing the peace sign. I don't get what that's all about. Blazing Bryce there. And then if you want to see something really funny, the picture in the bottom right-hand corner of Cindy and our little hats, that's not the cute part. Underneath my arm, Bryce is peeking out, <laughs> photobombing the photographer there. It's a good time to say that I had all my boys at dinner last night because, you know, I'm working today, and they're working, which is good. I like to see my boys work, even if it is Father's Day. Get out there, right? God, please, get a job. But uh, 
My two oldest boys, uh, the last Sunday of this month, we invite you after service to hang around and wish our two oldest boys goodbye. They are both shipping off to the United States Army next month. So, uh, uh, Bryce, Bryce on July 2nd and Blaze to follow on the 16th. Bryce is going to be an air traffic controller. Blaze is going to be a radiologist, and we're very excited about, about the work they're going to be doing. But... Uh, more than a decade ago, we went to Arizona, and while we were there, we saw the Grand Canyon. We had snowball fights. We rode the Polar Express. We went to Meteor Crater. We saw the Painted Desert. It was all so much fun. But me, being me and being the super geek that I am, insisted that one evening that we go here to the Lowell Observatory. It's an observatory that sits up on top of this mountain against the black desert sky. This is the observatory where Pluto was discovered, the home of Pluto as they call it now. We would moon gaze and look at the stars and all that stuff. And it was incredibly engaging and educational, no matter what the rest of my family says about it. And while we were there, Cindy had a crisis of faith. Maybe a full existential crisis about the meaning of life. No kidding. True story. I'm going to tell it to you. We're there looking at all of the exhibits, this, all this detailed stuff about, you know, what we know about the universe and how big it is and all these wonderful photographs of deep space, all of these galaxies. The universe is just so vast, it's blowing your mind. And so I was enjoying it and walking through and just, wow, ooh, ah, this is great. Isn't it great? I'm by myself, of course. Everybody else has given up. The boys are outside. I find Cindy in uh, in the gift shop throwing back beers. <laughs> What'd she say? Yeah, that's it. She's no. You believe me. And I sat down with her and I said, hey, what's going on? You okay? And this is her. What, what was God thinking? I said, what? Look, how do they know? What? What? What was God thinking? What do you mean, what was God thinking? Well, it's so big. What's the reason behind this? We're just little bugs. We're just out here lost in space on this little globe. And I put my arm around her and said, I am so proud of you. Now, obviously, in college, she was partying and playing tennis and socializing because some of us went through this about 25 years earlier. When... And I commended her for this, and I would commend anyone to this. When you stand and you see the enormity of the universe, it should blow your mind. You, you should just melt down in front of it. Because there are no words to describe it. It is impossible to get your mind around it and being staggered by the question marks, driven to the very edge of your comprehension, maybe the very edge of your sanity, is a faithful response. 
we should be stunned by all that is and the God that looms behind it. For if this universe is this large and this awe-inspiring, what about the one who spoke it into being? Do you follow me? Quoting William James today via Marcus Borg, God is the name we use for the stupendous, wondrous more that includes the universe even as God is more than the universe. God is the mystery who is beyond all names even as we attempt to name that mystery. I don't want that to sound too highbrow. But that's it. God is our best attempt at describing the wonder that is. There's a phrase for it that theologians use. Holy ignorance. Holy ignorance. We know, but actually knowing in a provable, demonstrable way, we know nothing about God. We confess faith, we say the creed, we pray our Father, but we do it through a glass darkly, Paul would say. And we can't see that very much as we describe it. We speak of knowing God, but truly we can only speak of our personal experience with God. So we know God, but we don't know God at all. We are ignorant. Not in a stupid way, but in a childlike, uninformed, unaware way, because God is so far beyond us. And anyone who says to you that they have God figured out, that they have God in a book, that they have God in a confession or an outline or, or, or something like that. What they actually have is a little idol, a domesticated pet, a tamed, neutered, impotent imposter, pinned down on a dissection tray. For any God that can be sufficiently explained is not God at all. Because God is more. The truth is, even standing here right now, the second we start talking about God, we start lying. At that moment, or at least we're babbling about something we only have a foggy idea about. It's just words. It's just ideas. It's just what someone else has told us. It's just constructs that fall impossibly short of what is real. There are words about God, and then there's God, and they're not the same thing. There are doctrines meant to explain God, and then there's God, but they're not the same thing. There are religions constructed around God, and then there is God, but they're not the same thing. There is knowledge about God, and then there is God, and these are not the same thing. It's not that we don't need words and doctrines and faith and knowledge. These are good for as far as they can go, but they can never go far enough. All confessions of faith lead to mystery. All doctrine should lead us to the stupendous, wondrous more. All prayer should lead us eventually into stunned silence. 
All knowledge should lead us to the awareness of our own ignorance and limitedness. Because when we have nothing left to say, nothing left to explain, nothing left to prove, and we stand looking into the infinite with our knees knocking, our hearts filled with question marks, and the overwhelming sense that God is just too much, then we might be breaking the surface to discover what is immense and connected in the deep. Now, back to Arizona. Cindy and I had every intention of getting married right here at the Grand Canyon. It was the week of September 11th, and that did not happen. Not there. We got married that week, but somewhere else. We made it to the Grand Canyon about a year later. And since that visit, we've been back multiple times. And to quote Johnny Cash, I've been around the world, man. This is the only place I've ever stood where my knees literally knocked together. Me, who's always got something to say, and I couldn't say a word. My heart right here, and the times that I've gone back, the same effect, to stand there. And you realize, so like Cindy at the observatory, look how small I am. Look how wondrous this world is. Now, I know a good bit, I'm ashamed to say to you, <laughs> of the science that caused that. And I could talk for the next half hour about the uplift, the volcanic uplift of the Colorado Plateau. And how the continent was slamming up against the Rocky Mountains. Putting all this pressure that allowed the Colorado River to cut through the layers of sediment like a knife to create the Grand Canyon. I could do that. And you would be so bored to death that you'd want to leave. Or I could take you right there and stand with you. Now, if I was standing there on the rim of that canyon with you and I began to talk to you about the Colorado Plateau and the uplift and the volcanic action, you would probably turn to me and say, could you just shut up and let me see for myself the stupendous, wondrous more? That's where faith leads us. That when we've said all our words and we've declared all our creeds from the bottom of our hearts and we believe it, when we get to the end of it all, we have to stand in silence and say, Oh Lord, my God, when I, in awesome wonder, consider all the worlds thy hands have made. Oh Lord, my God, how great thou art.